Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. By the end of March, the United Nations peacekeeping mission in Liberia will no longer exist. The mission, known as UNMIL, is closing shop after nearly 15 years in operation, and its closing is a major milestone and success for both Liberia and the United Nations. Back in 2003, it was hard to imagine this day would ever come. Around 250,000 people had been killed in a singularly brutal civil war, the infrastructure that existed in the country was decimated, and most Liberians who had the opportunity to leave the country had fled. Now, 15 years later, thanks in large part to this UN peacekeeping force, Liberia is a stable democracy with a rapidly developing economy. In 2006, it was the first country in Africa to elect a female head of state, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, and after serving two terms, she stepped down peacefully and ceded power to her political rival, George Weah. That itself is no small feat in a region where rulers often either cling to illegal third terms in power or engineer elections so as not having to cede power to their political rivals. To be sure, Liberia is still a a very poor country, but these last 15 years have seen tremendous progress. On the line with me to discuss how UNMIL was able to work itself out of a job is retired Colonel Christopher Holshek. Colonel Holshek was one of the few Americans to serve in UNMIL, and he explains just how the UN's role in Liberia transitioned from peacekeeping to peacebuilding. And because there are so few American military personnel who serve in UN peacekeeping missions, his perspective on this question is very unique, and I think you will appreciate it. The folding of the UN mission in Liberia is a good news story coming out of the UN, and I am so very glad to share it with you. As always, if you have any questions or comments or want to reach out to me to suggest people I should interview or topics I should cover, please do send me an email via using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter. I love hearing from you. And now here is my conversation with Colonel Christopher Holshek. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, I served from January of 2008 until July of 2009 as the senior U.S. military observer of the 
UN mission in Liberia and at the same time as the chief of civil military coordination or CIMIC. For and UNMIL itself. For UNMIL itself. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Uh, that's rare because you, you, Americans don't typically serve in these missions. That, that's right. I, 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 I took some pride in being the only colonel or equivalent of a colonel. Navy has captains. In the entire United States military, about 12,000 of us, actually wearing a blue hat in a peacekeeping operation. And, and on the one hand, that's a source of pride. But on the other hand, it's a source of embarrassment when you consider that we invented the organization. And that's all we committed to. About that time, we only had about 35 U.S. military officers serving in the U.N. field missions about six missions. I believe it's uh, seven now. And we've upped it by about 15. So there's more than 40. But that's basically all of the uniform personnel we have serving directly in UN field missions. And the reason that I was called the senior US military observer is because under the memorandum of, of agreement between DPKO. That's and the uh, Department of Peacekeeping Operations for those of you who don't speak UN. Yeah, for, for DP, the memorandum of, of agreement between DPKO and DOD, uh, Department of Defense, yeah. is that all of us would be technically military observers hmm. because Title 10 of the U.S. Code does not uh, permit U.S. military personnel to be placed under, quote unquote, foreign commands. Mm -hmm. So... Technically, we were all military observers, but actually about half of us were serving on staff positions, and that included me, and I was the senior most. I, had, I started off with 13 U.S. military personnel. We had a really good mix of uh, all the services, mm -hmm. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Uh, we had about five women of the 13 uh, serving in uh, the staff positions. Uh, and uh, one as a military observer, really very good representation of, of, of the U.S. And so, so what were you doing in, in 2008? That was incidentally the, the first time I visited Liberia was in 08. Um, what was actually you might you might have been been a part of this. This was when Bill Clinton visited very briefly uh, in uh, in 2008 to to meet with Ellen Johnson Sirleaf and see some yeah. some yeah. projects. That was part of the the press yeah, that was George, following him George along. George Bush was there too. Mm -hmm. uh, early, uh, yeah, yeah, in, Feb in February of 2008. Yeah, this was the summer of 2008 when when I visited right. he, for the first he, time. He came by as as yes, in 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 his position as as the former president. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, we had quite a few distinguished visitors coming in and out of the mission. And uh, well, what I, were you got, doing? What was what was your role at the time? Well, well, I got well, as I said, I, I served two purposes there. Uh, I sort of wore two hats. I had two people to answer to I had Washington to answer to. And I had the U.N. mission to answer to. So I, I represented basically as the senior military person in the U.N. mission. I, I represented the United States in the UN mission uh, from the military side. So that's the one role that I, that I played. The other role that, as I said, was that I was the chief of civil military coordination or CIMIC. And that's what most people in the UN mission saw me as. 
However, the people in the mission leadership team, or MLT, or the UN country team, um, certainly were aware that, because uh, I wore a uniform, uh, they were certainly aware that uh, I was the uh, senior U.S. military, uh, you know, the senior U.S. military officer in the, in the mission. And and let's maybe remind people, why is it that we had a uh, peacekeeping mission to Liberia? And, and, you know, we're speaking actually a day before the official flag lowering ceremony in, in Monrovia. Uh, and uh, just a, a few days before the last personnel will will leave, uh, and Unmil will will officially wrap up. But can you kind of go back and, and talk a little bit about how that mission started and why it started in the first place? Well, obviously, it was because of the most vicious and worst of the uh, civil wars in in. Africa um, that had taken place uh, leading up to the UN Security Council resolution. And I'm trying to remember the 1609 or 1309. I'm trying to remember the, the designation. Ooh, I can't remember. Uh, yeah. But it was the UN Security Council resolution in, in 2004 um, that started the mission. And the, the purpose of the mission, it was a peacekeeping mission that evolved into a peace building mission. It was really uh, the the claim to fame, I guess you could say, of of the UN mission in Liberia is that uh, it 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 is a premier example of a mission that that became a peace building mission uh, and transitioned. Uh, and and where I was in the mission was this transition point between uh, peacekeeping or peace building, uh, what they called. Um, the, the consolidation of the mission, and that there are two two aspects I think of uh, UN peace peace operations in general that are not very well understood. One is the the central role, the central uh, nexus or coordinating role of of the civil military coordination piece, um, and the and then the other side. Well, can it, you explain what what that means to to us lay people? Well. Civil military coordination is as what it kind of implies. It's it's it, it and actually you kind of you kind of you know cut me off because what I was going to explain is, is that the, the other aspect of civil military coordination is that it is, is least understood. It is that it's actually about transition management. Most people think that CIMIC or civil military coordination, which is what the UN calls it, the United States calls it civil affairs. I, I am actually a civil affairs officer. So I'm a professional CIMIC officer, if you will, mm-hmm. or I was uh, in my 30 years. Um, and in, in civil affairs, if, if to just give people an orientation or uh, if people remember what happened after World War II uh, and Korea, when we had a transition from war to peace and from military government to civilian government or occupation to civilian government, um, that's what civil affairs does. They're they're. They're officially a, a hundred years old this year, uh, beginning with their use in, in the uh, Rhineland at the end of World War One. It'll be later this year. It'll be a hundred years old. Uh, but the the, pers- the the real purpose of of CIMIC, uh is not what one would call winning hearts and minds or handing out soccer balls and doing public relations stunts, which is what everybody was really thinking CIMIC was. 
So when I got into the mission, uh, along with some of my predecessors, that the, one of the major challenges that we had as a U.S. professional CIMIC officer or civil affairs officer was to help educate the rest of the staff and, in point of fact, the rest of the force on what CIMIC really is. Um, because the, the whole point, point of transition management is to reduce the dependency of the host nation on the mission for many of the services it provides above, above all security, uh, but also in public administration and so on. So where I entered the, the, the mission uh, was, as I said, in January of 2008, and a couple of interesting things were going on. One, one it was that the, uh, the consolidation phase of the mission was taking place, and there was a real need to transition from peacekeeping to peacebuilding to a, a very security-intensive, military-intensive, uh, or even military-led, but, but not really led by the, the military, because the good news in the UN missions as a result of... Uh, uh, of uh, the Brahimi report going that back that far was that you had clear civil authority over uh, the mission. So in the, in the, the SRSG. Mm -hmm. And, and, and just, just a couple of points, the Brahimi report was report issued in 2000 that took a look at the peacekeeping failures of the Balkans and, and Rwanda right. in the 1990s and proposed reforms. And Liberia is one of those missions that was built and designed based on a lot of the recommendations in that Brahimi uh, exactly. report. It, it is a premier example of not just an integrated mission, but it is a premier example of, uh, again, a mission that went from peacekeeping to peace building. Mm -hmm. Can you, um, uh, on those lines, can you maybe just like walk me through a specific example in which you engaged with that exemplifies that transition? Well, well, one of the things that we were trying to do um, was to get the librarians to, to understand uh, that they had to begin the process of picking up more and more of these uh these management responsibilities, if you will. So one of the things that we did was to uh, set up, we set up actually a, a lot of, of, of public uh, discussions about uh, the security sector and, and the role of the military and police, civil military relations. Again, this is another important aspect of civil affairs or CIMIC. It, which is really the application of the civil-military relationship that you find in society in an operational way. So what we're trying to do is to promote dialogue between the security sector and the Liberian people themselves. So at the University of Liberia, we hosted a series of discussions which were covered by Unmill Radio. I, I was quite fond of using Unmill Radio as a means of, of public communication to, 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 again, to get people to understand that the, that the role of the military now uh, and the police force in Liberia, the security sector, or a good part of the security sector, was that they were public servants. And, and I'll give you a really, what I used to do, I used to live about three or four blocks away from the UN headquarters. I never drove into work. I always walked. I walked the streets. And I learned a lot by walking the streets and talking with people, typical special operations approach. 
And I remember coming across this is a real perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I remember coming across a group of librarians, um, uh, LNP, Liberian National Police, who were standing there. Now, at that time, they were repaving the road, uh, the, the main road there in, 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 in Monrovia. And um, they had these large holes that were left uh, for the drain holes. And they hadn't put the the uh, grates over them yet. They had they were still fitting the grates for that. So there's large holes. So the practice was, because the lighting was so poor, to put these very large stones as a marker around the holes. So if you were walking or riding your bicycle or running or whatever you're doing, you didn't inadvertently fall into one of these holes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I remember walking down the street and I and I watched was looking at uh, these these three Liberian officers and they obviously recognized who I was because they saw the US flag on my on my my uniform and as well as the UN emblem was on my uniform just so that everybody understands that um, and I was wearing a blue UN hat I noticed they were standing right next to one of these holes and there was no stones around them so I went over and I picked up a couple of these large rocks and I, and I placed them around the hole. And these guys kind of stood there and looked at me in, in just kind of bewilderment, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and then I walked up to them and I said, I, I want to explain something to you. I said, you now are public servants. You are here to protect the people. You are here to serve the community and the people of the community. Their safety is your responsibility. And what I just did was just a, a, a just leadership by example. The, the most basic and most effective method of leadership is to show people what it is that you're talking about. So I use that as, as not only a, an example in that particular case, but when I talk to people, I use that as kind of a storytelling fashion, what I was talking about when we were talking about trying to get the security sector to focus on protecting civilians, on protecting the people, and uh, because that was their job, not not serving some some big man or the state, you know, uh, but that the orientation of their service was now uh, towards the public and not uh, just you know there as an instrument of state power, if you will. So there was a kind of re-education process there that was taking place. And we not only did that in Monrovia in these seminars, but we went around the, around the, 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 the countryside doing that too. And, I, and part of what I had to do was I had to train the trainers. I had to educate the people, my CIMIC colleagues in the various contingents from all this, from Pakistan, from, from uh, Bangladesh, from uh, Ethiopia, from major troop contributing countries that were involved on what they were actually doing in terms of CIMIC. Well, I, I must say it's interesting for me to to learn directly from you uh, about your role in this. And I'm also thinking of this through the prism of, you know, uh, your role as a member of the American military helping to, to stabilize Liberia, because, you know, back in 2003, it, it was uh, the U.S. military intervention uh, in Liberia that that provided the key turning point, the key nexus point that set the conditions in which this peacekeeping force was enabled to deploy in, in the first place. And, 
you know, we're, we're speaking today on the 15th anniversary of the start of, of the Iraq war. And, and people, I think, don't realize that, you know, 15 years ago, the I was US, there for that, too. For, for, I commanded the first civil affairs battalion to go into Iraq. Well, well, it's it's interesting that people, I think, don't realize that also 15 years ago, there was this U.S.-backed international intervention that did enjoy broad international legitimacy and, and was successful. Uh, and and that yeah. was and 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 you know and and, and that was a small deployment of Marines to Liberia, uh, backed by a larger sort of I believe it was like a, a ship or two off the coast, right? Um, that and that set the conditions in which I believe it was Nigerian peacekeepers were first able to deploy. Yes, they were. And, and so you have this like long history. Yeah, and they had quite a reputation in. Uh, now, it, you're you're. Let me let me kind of pick up on what you're talking about, because I, I what I also wanted to, to demonstrate is that the my role, I ter, I certainly understood this dual role that I had in Liberia, not just being the chief of CIMIC um, and, and helping the U.N. to learn that that, you know, again, CIMIC isn't isn't about winning hearts and minds and and about handing out soccer balls to kids and and getting photo ops. It's not public relations. It's, it's, it's transition management. Um, and it, again, one of the least un understood aspects of peace operations is this idea of transition management, or at least it was at that time. But I also had the other hat that I wore, which was, I, I was the chief the senior American officer in the mission. And, you know, I, I was caught very cognizant of that. Uh, I, I, I was a colonel, but, you know, it was the flag that I carried that that, you know, was highly representative. And this is an, a, a good example of how the presence, even even just a handful of U.S. officers can really make a huge difference in a U.N. mission. Um, I was I was a little bit like E.F. Hutton. You know, when I spoke, people listened. Um, and I was very aware of that. So I, I was very careful about what I said and how I said it and, and who my audience was. Because I wasn't just speaking as the chief of CIMIC, I was speaking as a senior U.S. military uh, representative in, in the mission. And I used that to my advantage be because uh, of the very significant role that the U.S. had played, uh, not just in, 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 in managing the crisis at the time, as you say, with the deployment of the Marines, but also when the support of the mission itself. and. Uh, and of course, that, that I had I had a, uh, another role as a convener, and and uh, I actually had a little fun for this, and and I pointed out at one time that um, that I I had a a, a relationship, a personal uh, working relationship with the three most powerful people in Liberia, and they were all women. Mm -hmm. One was uh, uh, Ellen Margaret Loy, who is of course the SRSG of the mission at the time. She yeah, had just this is come the on, special representative of the secretary general, the, the right. top UN official. In, right. In the she had just come on board at about the same time I did and stayed for a couple of years after I left. Um, and the other person was Linda Thomas Greenfield, mm -hmm. who again had, had just come on board. The, the U S uh, ambassador who's been a guest on this podcast, I should say. Right. She's, yeah. uh, well, she's an excellent, person. And, uh, and I think one of the things that she did brilliantly, by the way, was to very carefully orchestrate 
the multilateral relationships that the United States uh, had in, in, in the Liberian situation, but also the bilateral relations. She was, she was very adept at managing the, the, the relationships with UNMIL, with, uh, with um, uh, the Chinese, who were a very large player there, uh, as well as with the Liberian government itself. Um, she's extremely uh, uh, good at that. She, you know, you know uh, she told me it's actually pretty funny. She she said that the, the her strategy for doing this was inviting them over to her residence and cooking gumbo for yeah. them because she's like a, a native Louisianan. So she would that's, that, she would do I what did, she called gumbo diplomacy. See, so I'm sure you've had her gumbo. Oh, I, I, many times. There and and in fact, point of fact, um, you, you can do it. You can do a lot over a meal. And I remember I, I had a little fun myself every six months. We would put on either a barbecue or we put on Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and I would be the host of this sort of uh, uh, social gathering where I'd bring in, you know, um, a, a lot of, uh, of the, um, the heavy hitters in, in, in the area. Uh, and I remember sitting down with the three, the three of them, uh, Ellen Johnson, Sir Leaf, Linda Thomas Greenfield. And, and Ellen Margaret Lloyd, who, again, the three most people, the most powerful people in Liberia, who are all women. And uh, and I say that with a great sense of pride, because I think it was, again, another mission, another experience where the the not only the leadership of women, but but the the instigation of women. If you remember the famous story. Um, Lima Bowie, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so actually, how the war came to an end. So, interestingly, so a- I also, having been to to Liberia a couple of times, encountered the all female police units. Yes, and in fact, I I was the uh, I mentored the the commander of that unit uh, a, a lot when I was there, and we worked very effectively together. From uh, India, if I recall. From India, yeah. Yep. First all female uh, force uh, form police unit. Uh, and they were very effective. And when when they, you know, I gave them my own personal CIMIC classes and, and actually set up a CIMIC training uh, seminar that we had had about every quarter where we brought their people in and, and we would give them training on CIMIC because mm-hmm. there was no real training for them. So we did that. And uh, and I paid particular attention to, to folks like that because I, I saw that they were a very effective weapon. Um, in in this idea of of introducing peace building, letting peace building take precedence over peacekeeping, and 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 again the um, civil civil society relations with the security sector, uh, all of those aspects, this whole transition management. So so can I ask, um, you know, fifteen years after the initial deployment of, of peacekeepers to Liberia, the mission mm-hmm. is closing down. It's it's right. it's, it's shuttering. Uh, the peacekeepers are are, are going home. So, what what does that tell you? Well, it it tells me that um, by and large, that the mission it was a success, and it, and and it was a success in in that it essentially met uh, the mandate, especially the original mandate. Now, uh, I would I would submit that that I think there are some very interesting and and poignant lessons um, to learn from th- this whole process. And we can get into those if you'd like. But but by and large, I think it's an indicator of success. And, and, I, and I, I don't think we should be beating our chests or, or you know, uh, uh, crowing to the to the to the to the rafters about it. 
But I think we should point out that that it is one of those wins that you see, you know, that the, the U.N. often has the reputation of not a lot of wins. Um, but this is one of them. I was involved in another one, by the way, called Untes in eastern Slavonia. So it wasn't my first exposure to the U.N. mission. In fact, I had been to two U.N. missions prior to that. Uh, Untes in eastern Slavonia, which is in the easternmost part of Croatia that was handed back over from Serbia to Croatia. It was a transitional administration mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then an UNMIC, which in which I was uh, actually a first representative yeah. of Kosovo, uh, 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 first representative of NATO, which was actually the peacekeeping force, mm-hmm. if you remember. And then um, then worked directly for the mission itself. So um, so I had I had the exposure to the U.N. I knew how the U.N. worked by and large, but I also knew, you know, some of the things that were real challenges in the U.N. system. Um, but I will tell you this in my experience, and I know we're getting a little bit general now, but my experience in, in over that period of time in the 20 years that I had been exposed to U.N. peacekeeping operations, uh, I had seen a great deal of uh, of advancement in the ability of the UN to conduct these kind of missions. And they are very complicated. I'll point out two things. Um, one, as you pointed out, uh, uh, the Iraq operation, I was there for that little, what Tom Ricks would call fiasco. I appear in his book, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, you know, I'd point out that, that, uh, that if you think going in and, 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 taking down a regime and then, you know, trying to build it back together and, and create peace is, is easy, then I would submit to you that it, it's not. So I, I think our criticism of the UN needs to be very guarded because um, as a former president would tell you that this, this making peace stuff is hard. <laughs> so, um, well, well, and, well, and I think mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's a tribute to the UN that they were able to get done what they did get done uh, in, in spite of the fact that they were not always structured for success. So, so this, uh, I guess, leads me maybe to, to the last couple of points I want to discuss with you is like, what lessons would you I- impart to Americans in, in particular about the utility or, or value of, of UN peacekeeping operations based on your experiences in Liberia and, and in the other missions? Well, there's a bunch of them. Um, one is that I think that we have to uh, use a strategy of patience. Okay. That, that I think in our own experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're just over, what is it now? 6,000 days in in Afghanistan. So there are a lot of, you know, benchmarks, uh, coming up here and, and that's the longest war we've ever been involved in and, and by far. So this, these ambiguous, (coughs) Uh, conflict management situations um, are extremely difficult, extremely complex, and you have to have the strategic end game always in mind and and work towards that slowly, methodically, but you'll get there. And I think Unmill is a good example of how that works and and sometimes doesn't. But uh, at the end of the day, that process, by the way, is uh, the, the the two buzzwords, by the way, that I use to teach CIMIC uh, with people and in my own online CIMIC course that I have with the Peace Operations Training Institute is to civilianize and localize the process. Civilianizing meaning, you know, putting, putting the, 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 the civil component and the police component in the driver's seat of this and having the military kind of continuously move towards the back seat. 
and, and play a lesser and lesser role, more of a supporting role. Um, the other is to, at the same time, to localize it. In other words, turn that, that management process increasingly over to local authorities. Um, and that's, that is a slow process as well. One of the things that I remember very clearly is, and, and here's an important lesson. Um, I used to, I used to go to a lot of events with, uh, with the SRSG, not just because I was chief of CIMIC, but because of the, the other flag that I wore on, on, on my uniform. And she, and I got a chance to talk with her in her vehicle or something. And at some point, I, I, I remember talking to her and said, ma'am, we have got to start doing the joint patrols with the Liberian police and Liberian security forces. Now we have to start transitioning now. If, if it, this was, you know, July of 2008. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I said, because if we're planning to turn a lot of these responsibilities over to them prior to the next election, which was 2011, I, I said, we've got to, start that process now. I said, because if you do it right, it's going to be, you know, kind of like what we call in, in, in American lingo, left seat, right seat, what they, what I call, uh, I drive, you drive in, in, in more international terms, because sometimes the left seat is yeah. not the driver's seat. Um, so the idea was, is when, when we went out on security patrols or we went out on missions to, uh, to, uh, safeguard civil service payments up country. So somebody had to, you know, to, to guard the money that was being brought out. We need to bring our colleagues along who are the sp- people who are supposed to get this mission. If we haven't figured out who's getting to get the mission, we need to do that now. And we need to start bringing these people along. And, and they can sit with us for a while and watch us and see how we do it. And we teach them along the way. And then at a certain point, they take over the driver's wheel. And I said, that, that's probably about a year from now. So you got, it's a two-year process. For, for one year, they come with us. They learn how to do the missions. They learn the mission planning process. They learn how to do key leadership, you know, uh, troop leadership procedures, all those different things. Um, and then we turn things over to them. And then we're just kind of there to help guide and, and, and you know, uh, and coach them. Mm-hmm. Um, because you cannot transition this stuff over in months. It takes years. Because you're not just transitioning capacity and capability. You're transitioning confidence. Uh, well, well, Chris, uh, thank you so much for your time. This was, this is, uh, helpful and, and it's quite a moment. It, it certainly is. And it's a proud moment for everybody who's had a, a part of that, both, uh, uh, all around the world and from the international community, civilians, military police that, uh, were, were contributing to all that and, uh, to the librarians themselves. It's a, it's a tribute to them. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Colonel Holshek. That was great. And I will post a link to a lecture uh, that Colonel Holshek uh, gave at Marist College about UN peacekeeping more broadly for those of you who are interested in learning more. And in the lecture, Colonel Holshek describes why UN peacekeeping is a tremendous national security investment for the United States. It's a, it's a great YouTube video. I encourage you to check it out. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.